You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. We welcome all of you to First, a place where the good news is for everyone. And you will not find us to be a group of Christians that's telling you why you don't belong. You belong, and this message is for you. It's for us as we worship God together. Last week, uh, our family got to take a little time in a peaceful, sleepy little town called Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, you know this town. Well, we were uh, getting away to just kind of change our routine a little bit, and, and uh, we did a lot of driving all over Los Angeles, Burbank, Hollywood, Pasadena, we were all over. And this is the first time our kids are adult children who are drivers in their own right, very good drivers. And yet there was lots of shock and horror coming from the car. You know, I was peeling them off of one side of the car and off of the other. There's a lot of windows that need to be cleaned on the inside. And you, you won't believe this, but I got lots of commentary. From people that don't like commentary about their driving, I got lots of commentary on my driving. And in one moment in particular, granted the car was beeping and going off about, you know, getting too close to a car ahead of me. I had said something like, oh, there's Harrison Ford and was looking over here. And the car's beeping. And yet this was a time when there was utter silence in the car. And I felt sure there'd be commentary. And I, I looked over at Donna and she's peacefully smiling with her eyes completely closed. And our kids had kind of something of this expression. <laughs> That's just one time. They wouldn't know even what time that was. One of many in this rental call, car all over. As we explored Los Angeles in this town, you know, a lot of things appear real that aren't real. There are a lot of people that may be famous, a few, but many, many more people who are seeking fame, working in all kinds of jobs. Our kids were so glad whenever we landed back in New Mexico and to see hardly anyone on the streets. No more honking, wider lanes, smaller roads, and they just felt New Mexico peace fall over them. We had some green chili and everything was fine. We were back to normal and they were, they were glad to get New Mexico calm dad as a driver after we landed. But in Hollywood, in Burbank, it's a world that's built on appearance, where things that seem to be real really aren't if you look closer. All these famous people that are enhanced, billboards that are airbrushed, every video clip perfectly edited, it's smooth, it's slick, it's glamorous and glitzy. And yet, there are real things out there. There are gorgeous beaches that are real, nice mountains that are real, even weather that's like ours, wonderful. It's the kind of place I would like to be homeless someday. If I don't have a home, I'm just going to live on the streets where the weather is that nice and that good. I don't know how many of you know that New Mexico is also an entertainment capital, and perhaps you've been on one of the studio tours here in New Mexico or perhaps in Hollywood or Burbank or Los Angeles. I kind of enjoy going on these studio tours. 
because you go in and you're able to see places that you've seen on television, like the Friends set or the Big Bang Theory set. All of these things that have been on your screen, now you get to see what they're like in real life. And in some ways they're kind of disappointing, right? If you've been on this, these shiny objects don't look as shiny in person. Or you look a little close and the buildings look kind of run down and smaller, much smaller. And you wonder, how is this really made real on television? It just doesn't look like what you see on television. Where they try to translate our three-dimensional world into one dimension, into a screen where you can see on that screen what's going on. And in this world where things are so unusual, I love to see like buildings like on the backside of Warner Brothers Studio, a little church that I thought about taking a picture of to show you, but it wouldn't work. I'll describe it to you. It's a normal little church, white church, that has four entrances. And they're all different because they're able to shoot each one as a different church building. So like in the Waltons, for example, they were able to use that one single church as four different churches in four different locations. There's more to life than meets the eye, and Hollywood has figured out how to do this. Now, in our world right now, it's kind of nice to escape into an entertainment world because a lot of what we feel today is apprehension because there's so much noise, so much clatter, many things to be anxious about in our world. We worry about our money, our finances, what's happening to the economy, what about housing, or what's going on with world leaders. And it's hard to find an internal calm as we drive about the streets of our own life. And so that's what I wanna to do today. I want us to explore how we could find peace when externally, all around us, 360 degrees filling our eyes and our ears is nothing but worry and fear and chaos. I want us to seek how we might find an inward peace, an interior peace that goes beyond our external situation. And the way I want to do it is to take a posture that's a little different. I didn't have you stand today for a reading of God's word because I'm going to kneel. And you can take whatever posture you wish. Seated is great, but you'll see why I'm going to do this from Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Holy Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly, far more than all we ask or imagine. To him be the glory, in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. The reason I'm 
picking Paul is that Paul knows something about chaos around him. This town, this region of Ephesus was a place that he'd been run out of, chased out of. He found himself now in a prison writing them a letter, this group of people that he spent so much time to, and he's in prison suffering on their behalf. And he tells them that. I'm in, pra- I'm in prison and I'm suffering on your behalf because of the message that I preach to you. In verse 6, he talks about this message and what it is, what the mystery is, what the gospel is, that God intends to bring salvation to all, that his message is one of inclusion, not just of the religious people, the Jews like Paul, but his inclusion of all people, the non-Jews, those who are outside the promises of God, now find them inside. And this was a message that got Paul landed in prison and made him face many beatings. And this project, this project that we've been unpacking for these several weeks, is God's project. It's not a project of our own creation. We are not generating this peace. We are participating in what God is doing. His project of bringing all people together. And we get to something of a climax here with this prayer as Paul kneels and takes a posture that's not the normal posture for prayer. Now, we could think about what our posture is for prayer in the United States, and it's usually bow our head, fold our hands, getting a little bit lower. But Jewish prayer was standing prayer. Maybe you bow at the waist, but you're raising your hands up, and Paul finds himself in what would become more of a Christian mode of prayer, kneeling down, bowing down, here as he prays to God. I want you to look closely at, at who, God, who Paul prays to. Because it's very clear that he prays to God. And the Trinity, all members of the Trinity show up here. If you look in verse 14 and 15, you see that he's praying to God as the one from whom everyone gets their name. All peoples of the earth. Not just the holy religious people, but everyone. In verse 16, he mentions the Holy Spirit coming to reside within you. And then in verse 17, he mentions Christ. What we're getting is a confession, an acknowledgement that we offer our lives, we offer who we are in prayer. And it's a focused acknowledgement of who God is. And there are three things that I want you to see, three things that will lead into a fourth of what Paul is praying about. First, first he prays in verse 16 that they would have inner strength and power by the Holy Spirit. If you want to find out how to make a sense of calm, to have interior peace when your external world is going crazy, you must tap into a power source beyond yourself. Now, we can carry ourselves for a while. The gas in our tank will get us down the road a ways, but eventually we'll get empty. If you want to thrive... If you want to find peace, you have to find that power source from God, external to you, this God who has given us life in him. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find God's spirit moving wherever it pleases. In the New Testament, we learn here from Paul that the spirit comes to dwell permanently in us. 
that it takes up an active role in our lives. Where this God that we worship and this God that we pray to is not far off and removed, he's active in our life. God has not started this clock and let it, let it wind up and take care of itself. He's not running this on solar power or battery power. God is very active within each one of us. And that power source is necessary. Okay, so that's the first one, getting our power source. The second one comes in verse 17, that Christ will dwell in your heart through faith as you're rooted and grounded in love. This is the eternal cosmic Christ coming to live inside of you. Moving in, bringing boxes, bringing things in. He's not just coming for a visit to see how things are going. This is not just a one time a week on a Sunday morning visit. This is a permanent residence with you. And he's moving in, bringing in these boxes, bringing in some new practices, some new habits, some new virtues. And because he's moving in, it means you're having to make a little bit of space. Uh, some things get pushed out. Things get shuffled a little bit to the side because God intends by the form of Christ to dwell within you. And you can pick your metaphor here. Paul does too. Um, he says, be planted in, in the soil of love or be founded or grounded like a building in love. So whether that's a foundation or whether that's a plant getting its roots down deep, Christ is coming to live with us. All right, so we've got power. We've got God building a home in us. Look at this third one that's in verse 18. We find the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. Something that boggles our imagination. Dimensions that go beyond one dimension or two or even three into four-dimensional residence with us. Because the intention of what Paul is praying for is so that God can dwell in us and with us. This is not something new. In chapter 2, verse 22, this God project is about you and I, us together, being built into a dwelling place for God. And here we see it yet again, that God wants to dwell within us. Now, you might be saying to yourself, these sound the same. And, and, and I would agree with you. I mean, if we talk about the power coming from an external source, that God wants to strengthen us with his power, and we talk about God building a dwelling place for himself inside of our heart, or being filled with the love of Christ, I mean, these are sounding like very much the same thing. Verse 20 leads us to what this all is about. They are repeating for the fullness of God to find its place in us. Where God, through the power of the Spirit, the form of Christ takes up residence in us. And we begin to take on the full stature of Christ, which is what this looks like in our life. I mean, it sounds like we're coming to know God, that God wants to be with us. And I think that's exactly right, that we will know something that's unknowable, that's unimaginable, that goes beyond what we could ask for, beyond what we could comprehend. Now, driving around, you might have cars that you like, something that appeals to you, and you might begin to see it by the shape 
of that car, from the side or the back or the way it's cut against the wind and the way that it contours to point you down in a speedy way down the highway. That's one kind of knowledge, and, and maybe you have knowledge of your own car because you know about the Coke that you spilled in the seat or the coffee that got dumped all in the back around the trunk. You, you know your car by the things that have broken off, like the mirror that you just keep intending to replace. But that's a knowledge of a thing. What about a knowledge of a person? Like your husband. You know your husband. You, you could pick him out of a stadium because you know his walk. You could hear his voice down a hall because you know his laugh. Or the smell of his cologne. You know your husband because of lots of time spent with him. Now translate that to any relationship that you have where that knowledge can be deep. This is the kind of knowledge of God that we're talking about. A knowledge that goes well beyond what we can see. Beyond love that's physically present to something much deeper. I think it's beautiful that here in this culmination of the God Project, the, the center of the book, we reach the peak, the pinnacle of this God Project, and it comes as a prayer. It comes in worship as a doxology that blows the mind of the kind of knowledge that we can have of God, that God can act in our lives beyond our imagination. It's the kind of thing that we can't really translate into points, can we? It's better memorized. It's better stored on our hearts so that our minds and our beings can draw on it at the appropriate time. Here at First Christian, we are first and foremost Christians. That's what we're trying to do. Our mission statement is plain and simple. We are following Jesus. And we invite anyone, everyone, to join us in following Jesus. A place where the power of God can dwell in our hearts to strengthen us. A place where the love of God is buried deeply into our hearts and present in the things that we do. As we think about maybe this town that I've been talking too much about with Los Angeles or Hollywood or Burbank or Pasadena, these places that have a seeming reality, I think they have something to teach us. There's something that is done with the magic of technology to help us have our eyes tricked, that what we see is richer and grander than what is really there. And the, the one dimensions that everything gets shot in, we know that it's not one-dimensional. It's shooting the world in 3D. And it's being transposed onto a medium that's one-dimensional, a television screen, a phone, or a movie screen. Now, of course, there's all kinds of technology, like lasers and green screens, dots that get put on the body so that the movements can be perfect and true and real to human life. But these tricks are not just about getting something onto a screen. We know what the three-dimensional world looks like. If you really ask people in show business what they're after, they're tapping into yet another dimension. They want to shock us. They want to make us laugh. They want to draw us into a story. They want us to cry or weep or be touched by what we see there. 
And so even though they can't shoot in four dimensions, they're definitely trying to reach that fourth dimension. Think of even a play or actors on the stage where it is in three dimensions and you can see people performing. Even in those theatrical performances, there are times when what's called the fourth wall, the wall between the stage and the audience is broken down and there's interaction where people from the audience are brought into the story. So we can begin to conceptualize that these stories reach beyond just what we see into a fourth dimension. And it's that that I want us to draw upon because it's not such a jump to think about reaching out to a God that we can't see, about a God that wants to live in our hearts and overwhelm us with his love and what he wants to do in our life. That's not too big of a stretch of the imagination because we can pan back from Los Angeles and see Disneyland as nothing but a blip or Legoland as a dot and see these stories for what they really are, illusions, not entirely descriptive of the entirety of what's going on. And if, if we could become the kind of people who open up our hearts and open up our eyes to what God is doing, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, surpasses what our understanding is, and to allow this Christ to live in our hearts by the power of the Spirit, to take up a permanent dwelling in us, that'll change us. That'll change how we write emails even this week. It'll change the way that we stream our media this week, or what we do with our credit card, or what games we play. And you might say, you know, I've, I'm tired of this God business. It's not a story that I've bought into. Well, Paul kind of gives us a little bit of a dare. He dares us. He dares us that this is a God that will do beyond what we ask or what we imagine. And so I would invite you into that dare. If you're feeling like God is not showing up in your life, then I dare you to ask God to show up. Tell him what you most are interested in. And see if God will not provide something of what his love is for you. Something that you'll have to be paying attention for. You'll have to be looking. Because this is a love that's beyond knowledge. It's beyond imagination. And it draws us into a much bigger story where this good news is not just for the good people. It's a good news not just for the holy people, but good news that God intends to proclaim to all people everywhere. The good news that what he has done in Christ Jesus is for all of us to enjoy. That right there blows my mind every time I think about it. That's the kind of message that affects how we approach our own roads of life, whether our driving is calm or crazy, whether we are caught up in where we are going or just finding the way that Google is pointing us down the road. I invite you into the dare of finding the God who wants to dwell within you and to do with you more than what you ask and more than what you imagine. Let's pray. Eternal God, maker of heaven and earth, 
Thank you for moments like this when we can bring our lives to you and pan back and see the greater picture of what you're doing. With us, with those that are around us, with your church and with this world. And in a time when we sometimes are caught up by the external chaos that is around us, we thank you for people like Paul, who show us one who is willing to not just preach this message, but suffer, be imprisoned, be confined because of this message of inclusion. So Father, would you help us as we return to our lives that we will not pay attention to the chaos around us, but that we will find an interior peace to know that you reside with us, that you dwell with us, and that you live and reign with the Holy Spirit within us. Father, we ask all this through not just the story, but the real life of Jesus Christ, the one who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.